I cannot wait, uh, as I tweeted out yesterday at Ryan and Rosillo, I can't wait for today's podcast. A really, really long conversation with DJ Who Kid. Who Kid goes all the way back to the start of 50 Cent and then G Unit and then Eminem. I mean, he goes back beyond that when he was just DJing and doing all sorts of stuff. He's going to tell an hour's worth plus of stories. They're going to be amazing. I really think this is probably one of the best podcasts I've ever done. Um, so that's how excited I am about this. So today's episode of the Ryan Russillo Podcast and the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Honestly, I don't do a lot. Who kids the one who talks the whole time? So he's terrific. Just like sports, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Um, people just wanting doomsday scenarios for every single sporting event. Um, I just I don't think you're going to get your way on this one. So that may be unexpected to you. I just, the outdoing of every soundbite of no, you know, man, we might not have anything until 2028. Okay, fine. Talk to me when we're all watching NBA games this summer, because I honestly think, uh, you know, there's just going to be versions of this that are very, very different, but that's kind of always what I expected. Um, I was watching some stuff today on college football where uh, everybody seems to be losing their minds on that one. Um, but I don't know. I, I think they're going to try to find a way to bring in the TV money, which is what I always said. Talk to a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Before we get to who kid, I want to spend a few minutes on, you know, some more stuff that we're going through here. And that is uh, different different leagues and what their startup date is. I had mentioned on Sunday's pod with Bill Simmons, Baxter Holmes piece from ESPN.com, which is really thorough, really good quotes, front office people, GMs and trainers about what you know, is realistic in trying to get this league started. So if the league were to start up at some point this summer, an abbreviated version, uh, a quarantined location type of thing, you know, all the different things that are being thrown out there as possibilities, how long would the players actually need? And when one trainer said 30 days at least, it made me think, okay, well, you are to the point where you, you can't even be talked to because that means you want even longer and that's just not going to happen. Yes, the athlete is a finely two body. Yes, an athlete, especially somebody who's a little bit older like LeBron talking about, you know, peaking at the right time, fine tuning this whole thing. I do believe in this stuff. I do believe in the technique and getting ready. But I also think that enough guys as athletes can kind of just also, you know, play a little slower than they normally would for a couple of weeks and work themselves slowly into game shape. None of this is ideal, but if we have it on and we think guys are turning the ball over a little bit too much or don't have great touch around the rim on some finishes because guys haven't been playing a lot, like we're going to be okay with it because it's on and I'm not going to be sitting out tweets being like, oh, these crit, you know, these screens, these down screens, not as crisp as I would like to see. So I, I feel like it's always kind of one of those human nature things where it's not necessarily like if you give somebody an excuse, you're going to use it because that's what people do. Um, but this is more than that. It's a little bit of like, hey, instead of just accepting how challenging this whole thing is and how uncertain still is even if today, despite um, you know my positive thought that that some version of this stuff is going to come back at some point, let's focus on what's negative and let's focus on like how it's not going to look good. And I, I just when I read that stuff, I just go, okay, yeah, no, we're all on the same page here. But what what's what's your point? Like, what's your observation on this? That guys are going to be a little out of shape? Okay, fine. Well, guess what? You're not getting 30 days. And you're definitely not getting beyond 30 days of running guys into shape, which is still the funniest thing because none of the guys want to even play in the preseason anyway. They'd love to never practice. And now actually guys want to practice. And then another thing. Um, I've heard players say, and NBA players say, I haven't touched a ball in a month. That's on you. All right? <laughs> Uh, a lot of the younger players live in buildings in all 30 NBA cities, even rural somewhat cities. You know, look, I mean, that sounds 
like not the greatest description, we'd understand this. There are of these NBA cities, some cities are just not cities. Like Salt Lake City is a city, but it doesn't feel like a city when you're there in comparison to other NBA cities. If you can't find a parking lot to dribble in, if you're an NBA player who can't actually find a hoop, think about a guy being in a major city. New York's a little tougher, but I, I'm just not going to have a ton of sympathy for the guy that says, you know, I never was, you know, I just wasn't even able to touch a basketball this whole time because I live in an apartment building. There's nothing, there's nothing against grabbing a basketball and, and going outside and dribbling in an empty parking lot. Uh, I know that sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds stupid. It's like, wait a minute, what are we doing here? Um, I'd imagine there are other guys that can find a way, whether it's shots up at home or, you know, in trying to extend the, the quarantine rules you know, shooting at the opposite ends of the gym. I mean, we're still all going to grocery stores, so a couple of guys shooting in a gym at separate hoops I don't think is is necessarily anti-flattening the curve. So that's that's the other part of it, like baseball. Hey, we need a month to get ready. Pitchers need time to stretch out their arms, but the chances are pitchers live in the same cities right now with other teammates that also own baseball gloves where they could probably find a parking lot or any kind of field that's opened and not closed off, and they're not even close to each other, mind, never, uh, never mind anybody else, where they could probably long toss and build up a little bit of arm strength. Yes, the bullpen sessions would not be the same with monitoring and all of that kind of stuff, but people actually did throw baseballs in the olden days and build up their arm strength without all the video simulation and you know body mechanical breakdown stuff where you could you could do some work on your own and that's my point is you can still despite all of this find a way to do some kind of work on your own instead of up well, you know can't do anything about it i'd asked the team about the thing i brought up on sunday saying is there any way to you know maybe open up these facilities have a video coordinator, unlock the door, have hour shifts where it's each player by themselves. You know, you wouldn't even need to do that. I mean, you could have multiple players at different hoops. Their facilities are not just one court. Uh, there are multiple baskets in all of these facilities. And then it's like, okay, but the problem is, is if, say, the New York clubs can't do it, but Milwaukee could, um, the competitive advantage, disadvantage thing, the NBA is not going to allow one team to go ahead and do that kind of stuff. I would still think if I... If you worked for one of these teams, you just would say, hey, do you guys want to get some shots up at some point today? Even if, you know, in theory, the practice facilities are closed down a little bit. So um, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys disagree. If your counter is, hey, we're talking about the safety of people, if we're talking about quarantine, then we're really not going to have any kind of conversation. I, I deal in the reality neighborhood where if, if you're a pro athlete and you can't figure out any way to get your hands on a ball, I don't. I don't know, man. I, I just, there's no way, there's no way I could ever understand thinking that way of, of, you know, even if you lived in an apartment building, even if you lived in a, in a dense, dense city, um, I would go for a road trip an hour outside of the city and, and find a place where I could go dribble and just run up and down a court, even if the rims are locked and there's no one around, I would not come to Manhattan beach to find a hoop because there, there are none. Uh, and then one more thing on the baseball deal where it's like, okay, if baseball starts up and it centralizes just Arizona, okay, well, I don't want to be away from my family. Yes, understood. Okay, I get that. That if you have a family, even with me not having one, that's not something you'd, you'd want to do. You're away a lot, but you already are kind of away a lot. And a lot of you guys go on road trips where you're away from your family already for two weeks at a time. So you know what my family would love? even though they may miss me and I may miss them and have some of those moments where all of a sudden everybody's captain family, my family would really like if I made 20 million this year as opposed to zero. 
because that could also do something for my family. And if you're saying, wait a minute, 20 million, that's not what everybody makes. You know what my family would also like for me to make 500,000 instead of zero. So we can talk about the family dynamic and, and it's nice to have dinner. Most of these guys aren't having dinner with their families every night in a normal season. So if there's some other abbreviated version where it's all located, where all the teams are in a centralized area and it's a little bit more strenuous on the family dynamic, I have a level of sympathy for you, but not a dramatic level of sympathy where I go, you still have an opportunity to work and make a very, very substantial living um, and provide for this family. Because most families that I can think of on the lower end would be like, you know what would suck is to not make zero money for the next year. So there you go. All right, let's talk with Who Kid. I can't wait for this. Okay, you know him from Shade 45. 50 Cent, G-Unit, Hollywood Shuffle. Uh, he's a guy I've hung out a couple times. Everybody likes him. I don't know. It, it seems like you get yourself into trouble, who kid, but everybody always ends up liking you, and we go back over, over the start of this. So let's, let's start where it all started, because in the interviews, it's unbelievable in this neighborhood. You know, you grew up in Queens, and all these people that are around. So what was that like? Like, these guys that you were neighborhood people and now are world famous and they were all in this really small part of New York city. Yeah. It's kind of weird where I was from. Uh, I, I was raised in Queens village. So it's, 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 it's like, a, I don't know. It's like a trilateral. So Hollis Avenue was here. Springfield was here and Linden was like, it was like a triangle. So it's weird where I lived. I lived in the middle. So my, my neighbor was like DJ clue, uh, envy and lived across the street from clue. And then to the right on Hollis was uh, Jam, Jam Master J, um, you know, Run DMC. They all lived on Hollis. And then further ahead to, to Linden was L Cool J. But the thing that's so weird, there was a, there was a park called 34 Park, PS34. It's, it's like a, it's like a uh, elementary school. But PS34 is where if you ever wanted to catch Russell Simmons, like, doing drugs or heroin, he would be at the chess table. like. He's there, like, you know, hanging with the homies and they doing heroin, chilling. Uh, L. Cool J will come down to skinny L will come and play like <laughs> basketball with the crew. But I think the reason he worked out is because, you know, in those days, I don't know, maybe they tried to fuck with him and shit like that because he was so skinny. So then he worked out. That's why he's so buffed up. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, my fucking block, 111th Road, was serious because I had e-money bags. I had a uh, tall stretch. And um, E-Money Bags was like a street gangster. Like, he, he caused so much war amongst, like, the drug dealers, which is kind of, like, interconnected with 50 Cent and all these other guys. But Tall Stretch, he was a producer. He was part of Live Squad. But he had the early Tupac. Like, I think once he quit uh, Digital Underground, Tupac was beginning to be gangster. So he used to come on my block. He used to, like, I used to, like, like literally, like, sit in front of my house and then I see Tupac and Tall Stretch walking by with a 40 ounce and Chinese food. It was like clockwork every day, 40 ounce Chinese food, 40 ounce Chinese food. So I don't know what I did one day. My father was whipping me in my backyard. I don't know what I did. I don't know what the fuck. My father, you know, Caribbean parents whip the shit out of you and shit. So Tall Stretch and Tupac just stopped and just like watched my father whip me for like 10 minutes. And then usually Caribbean parents make you kneel 
like in you know in the backyard in the sun and you and then i had to scream like i'm sorry poppy which is i'd say pardon poppy which is like i'm sorry poppy like until he tells me to get the fuck up so i'm screaming pardon poppy and tupac and tall stretches is laughing at me holy shit you got whipped the fuck out of and and guess what they got their chinese food and their 40 ounce and it just like just like laughing at me eating and watching me scream pardon poppy and that's the only connection i have with tupac i never met him after musically i never got his music i never got in the studio but that, that that's how crazy that this neighborhood which which is now called shadyville because of me but back then it was just too much shit going on like it was too hip hopped out. Like 50 Cent would come on my block, beat up a drug dealer that owed him money. And he, he used to be called Boo Boo. So he'll come on his little fucking, uh, he had like a baby ninja. So he's like 300 pounds on a baby ninja. You know how small baby ninja is? That's a tiny ass motorcycle, but he'll come and he'll be like, oh shit, Boo Boo's coming. And he'll fuck everybody up that owed him money. So imagine like you're a kid, like just sitting in front of your house, water in the grass, and you just see like, like the early 50 Cent, who was called Boo Boo, beating up drug dealers. And we have no connection. I, I never used to talk to him. I never used to like say what's up. I just and you're a like, teenager, oh, right? You're like 15 maybe or, or like later nah, teens? I was, I, I, was, I was like, I think I was like 17, 17. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, like so I was in high school. How, how the hell was 50 Cent 300 pounds? Was he fat? Is that why he works yeah, out all the time now? They called him. His nickname was Boo Boo. He was a bully. So his name was Boo Boo. So he was fat. He was like a big guy. So, but he was like, uh, you know, he was kind of like, like, uh, like, uh, what was that guy from? Uh, Tebow? Um, yeah, like a Tebow kind of guy. He'll come in. And, so imagine like you're sitting there, you're watching him beat somebody up. And then literally like maybe 10 or 15 years later, you're on stage in front of 100,000 people with this guy. That's, that's how weird how fate is like I have no connection, no communication, but he's literally like across the street for me beating up some guy for drug money. And then literally 15, 15 years later, we're on stage with fucking Eminem and fucking Dr. Dre. And this is fucking like, and I'm in Africa. I've been fucking like, you know, like we're, we're in Israel, like 30,000 people. Like can you imagine like shit like this don't even make no kind of sense, but that's, that's how crazy where I was from. This little trilateral area, it was just it popped out. Steve Stout lived uh, to the left, and kind of, you know Biggie used to come on the block too to get beats from Tall Stretch. Nas used to come on the block, hang with E Money Bags. Get you know Nori from Iraq used to come down. So it was like very like hip hopped out. So you decide, all right, I want I want in, and I know that you know the mixtape thing is is so competitive. I mean, it's just, I don't even know that, that kids outside of that, that culture even understand it. I, I know that I have my own limitations, but like, how did you decide, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I know that your story's kind of funny and that you just kept kind of faking it and lying about it until it just actually became real. It was almost like you were lying about the things that were going to happen anyway. Yeah. Like back then we had like little recorders, like those cheesy recorders from Radio Shack. And, and I used to get drops from people. They sound like shit. But at the end of the day, like you have to use your opportunity, and you know it's an opportunity. It's like if you see Noriega in front of you, or you see Biggie, you see you gotta like pray to God they do a drop. And I and I used to do that with pun, and but but I, I did with people that was easily accessible because business wise, I saw that the DJs were not dealing with like um, 
you know, like like Hype Williams or 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 or, or Spike Lee. Like these guys were easily like accessible, like Russell Simmons, and I would get like 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 the, the industry to host my tapes, like Chris Lighty. I started with that first because if you're close to like the people that's making money, like Lero Cohen, and you know, you know, like Steve Rifkin, you get these guys to host your shit. It, I don't know. It's kind of like a, a, a corporate. It's like a, it's like you're going to a corporate party or some shit. Like you know, and then people respect it more because how the hell you get like fucking uh, Chris Lighty who managed like every fucking big artist from Missy Elliott to Busta Rhymes to like you know to eventually Fifty Cent like to host your tape. That's how I got Busta Rhymes to host my first tape because he managed Busta when he was big at that time when he had like Janet Jackson in the video. So I actually went to the video shoot while he was doing all that high-end fucking, I think it was like state-of-the-art Matrix-style uh, video shoot with uh, Janet Jackson. And, and that's where I got my first drops from uh, uh, Busta Rhymes. And then after that, it opened my eyes because I felt like more interaction with the actual artists talking and going on and shit. And it's just sound like shit. I like, you know, a shitty-ass Radio Shack, Sam Ash <laughs> bullshit. It sounded like crap, but people didn't mind because it's really Busta Rhymes like doing the intro in between. And then it led to like sports stars. I, I, I kind of like went through all the rappers uh, after a while where I was like, yo, let me just get like sports stars to get involved. So thank God that I linked up with 50 Cent and then we started touring. And that's how I kidnapped like fucking uh, Floyd Mayweather before he was big. Like I have mixtapes. I got bloopers with like every, like almost every NBA star from that era, like hosting shit from Donald Trump hosting shit. Then I went to the stars. Once I got in Sirius XM, then I got movie stars to host my shit because some DJs was trying to copy the the hosting stuff, like getting people to hype and but you know, like Charlie Murphy and a lot of people that passed away hosted a lot of our tapes. You know what I'm saying? But it 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 was it, it was a way like there was no social media back then. So I, I used their popularity or wherever they were at to promote my tape. So if Floyd Mayweather had a big fight and he's all over like you know, TV, promotions, fucking Mass Square Garden or whatever, because he's everywhere on TV, everybody's like part of the algorithm. Everybody's on his dick. So what I would do is if you see that there's a tape with Floyd Mayweather hosting it, it's part of the algorithm at that time because there was no, all we had was barely YouTube and there was no Twitter, no no, no Instagram, nothing. So I abused uh, Floyd Mayweather's popularity to fucking promote my tape. And he didn't even know that. He hosted it talking shit, yeah, I'm the best, uh, who kid dropped that shit? But at the same time, him fucking somebody up, if he won that fight, that's more tapes I would sell. It's, it's, it's weird. Like, I was like, I used to be yeah, like... Yeah, but it makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's it's more creative than tagging somebody or having to have them retweet you, but it's it's kind of in the same family. A lot of DJs uh, never thought about it like that. You know, Mike Tyson, like, you get Mike Tyson to host his shit, he just knocks out fucking Buster Douglas. He knocks out this guy. Knock every time I would knock people out. People more tapes. Like stores will keep calling me. Yo, we need more of that Mike Tyson mixtape that that he's hosting. Like they don't even care about the music anymore because <laughs> it's it, it's 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 just from visually. Like you walk in the store and you you just can't believe it. There's there's a fucking Donald Trump hosting a tape. Like and that's at that time he was like you know everybody was on his dick because of his money. You know he had yeah. the fucking uh, the, the apprentice shit. Blah, blah, blah. Everybody wanted to be Donald Trump. There was not no black people that was a swim Donald Trump back in the days. I didn't think he would be president. <laughs> but back then, everybody was on his dick. So for me to get him to host it, 
he's already was charging like you know when, when he first came he was like you know i charge a million dollars just for the interview i charge like hundred thousand for drops i was like what i was like out of here yo I was like, I'll, I'll give you an iou motherfucker get the fuck out of here but <laughs> but he he wanted to be on my radio show because of his kids his kids was like fans of Gina radio so that's the only reason that it, it was a great barter system and i did the apprentice i did a couple episodes too but it was a good barter system but the fact that you know don you what would you go see donald trump hosting a street level like bootleg that shit was like in china that shit i went to somewhere in kazakhstan to like uh like like one of them uh uh, uh flea markets and it had like a mixtape african guy he was like yeah i got donald trump right here hosting this is you this is you and he couldn't believe that it was me but he but it, it the the the, the the, the, the interconnection is ridiculous where you have every cultured bootleg system bootlegging your shit. No, you, no fucking Twitter, no Instagram. I got Irish mob. I got fucking the Chinese. I, I, I used to sell that shit to fucking, uh, what's that shit? Uh, uh, Tower Records. I used to make my own invoices. And that's why I went. And then I, and I got a little smarter. I went to the labels that I was robbing the music from and leaking and bootlegging. <laughs> I went to their distribution department and I stole their whole uh, distribution list. So I had like, like for Sony, I had like 6,000 stores that they had. I just had like my girl or, or, or some homies just call every store and then we just created like, there was no rules back then. There was no so, cease and desist. There was no laws. So let me, let me stay on that then. Cause you, you're doing this thing. You're <laughs> leaking it out. Everybody's losing their minds and it becomes this kind of game that you guys have, but you, I know Puffy came at you because of the Biggie leak, but were you actually still prior to that pretending to be his DJ and doing interviews? Like, how did that come together where people thought you were Puffy's DJ and you were just like, yeah, whatever, let's do it. And you started doing interviews. Well, 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 well um, the, the Puffy DJ thing um, was before I leaked the Biggie song. This right, Puffy right. I had him, he, he had the Bad Boy mixtape. So, like I said, I, I, I busted my ass to get near everybody that had energy or any kind of like mixtape movement. He actually had a great um, legendary mixtape situation because he got Biggie, he got like like six other artists from his from his label that popped off from the Bad Boy mixtape. So I was like, yo, let me host, you know, the next Bad Boy mixtape. Or and then I got him to host mine at the same time. So once he did that intro, like DJ Who Kid Bad Boy collaboration, that was it. That was enough for me to say that, yo, I'm his DJ because he, I have the vocal of him actually saying that. But stupid places, I'm not gonna say Canada is stupid, but stupid places like Canada, like Much Music and those idiots over there, they're, they're, they're a print, they're like a print kind of like regulated situation. Like you just send a print and actual audio and they believe anything. So I, I sent them like the whole fucking I, what I've done, I got the mixtape, and then, and then they thought that it was the album. They thought it was like new music with Puff Daddy, but it's just Puff Daddy hosting my tape. So what I did is uh, um, I, I called the promoter in Canada, and I was like, yo, let's just do a, a, a bad boy tour. And at that time, how would anybody know? You know, there's no Instagram, there's no way to, to tweet, yo, who kid's lying, he's over here in fucking Regina, fucking <laughs> Tory or, or Calgary, like, like I did like eight cities and I did, when I went to Toronto, I did much music. But when I went to much music, I kind of like spiced it up even iller because I, I went and bought a Sean, a Sean John suit in New York before I even got there. So I had the whole, you know, them, those, those yeah, mafia yeah. mobster fucking 
Sean John suits, and I came in, and people were like, ooh, uh, Puff Daddy's DJ, who can? And all the kids, you know, you have those stupid little kids in the crowd, yeah, like going crazy. I was like, these fucking idiots. I did a full interview, and out of everybody that caught me, it was Harv Pierre. Harv Pierre had like some kind of like, you know, back then, um, the cable, I guess the cable system was like so expensive back then to have certain channels. So he had every channel. He's obviously Puff Daddy's uh, manager. So he had like every channel. He just happened to flick through the channel and, 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 and caught much music the same day I was on it. And he was just like shaking his head like, this motherfucker who kid is crazy, man. But the only reason I think he didn't kill me is because he's Haitian and I'm Haitian. So he was like, I'm going I'm, I'm to let him live with that. But when I came back to the States, he came up to me. He was like, yeah, I saw you on that much music shit. But don't act like I don't know. I was like, oh, shit, get the fuck out of here. Yo, it was it was a joke. Everywhere I would go, I'll never forget some club in Calgary. I don't even know if it's still open. It was like 6,000 kids. And then and, and they had like a balcony. So the, the promoter was like, yeah, just go to the balcony and stand on the balcony. It will shine like this movie light on you. And then we'll, then we'll announce you. And I just went to the balcony and they shine like this big ass light. And I put my hands up. I was like, Puff Daddy's DJ. I was like, yeah. Like, it was like, yeah. Like, it was like a fucking joke, man. It was like fucking easy, man. It was like a joke. Now, the lies got me to, to link up with Russell Simmons. That, that's next on my level. Like, once I got to Russell Simmons, it was over. So how did the Russell Simmons thing happen then? Because of that? I mean, well, you know, there was a thing called Kinko's back then. So Kinko's, I would go to Kinko's and print, like, fake uh, tour flyers. Like, I would be like, yo, I got this. Uh, you know, I, I was dating a Japanese chick, you know, at that time, which I married eventually. But uh, I called her. I was like, give me some uh, club names or famous clubs in Japan. So what she would do is she would hit me with all the names and locations. And I would make, like, fake flyers at Kinko's. Fake, I'll, I'll produce, like, a fake tour. And then I would submit it to all, all the labels so I could get free wax. Because back then, we had, like, records and shit. So she was mad expensive. But... So for some reason, my flyer got to Russell Simmons at Def Jam because he, I think he had to approve like a lot of the wax to go out because it was an expensive like situation to give away to every DJ. And I just get give it to every DJ. But Russell Simmons was like, who the fuck is this DJ from Queens that's always in like Asia? He, he just finished like a whole Japanese run. And then, <laughs> and then the funny thing is at that time, Chris Lighty, Chris Laddie was uh, the assistant of Russell. So I got cool with him because he's the one that gave uh, Russell Simmons the flyer. So Russell was like, get this motherfucker in here. He's from Queens too? Where's he from? Well, he's like near Hollis and, and Springfield. Like, Hollis? He'll get him in here. So I already knew the, the certain words that'll get Russell Simmons like, kind of like, yo, who the fuck is this guy? I got in there. I was like, yeah, you know, I got this big ass tour. And, you know, I don't know. They just love me out there. He was like, what? You from Queens? So after that, he he put me on Chris Lighty's little brother, uh, Mike, uh, Mike Lighty. So Mike Lighty was in charge of giving him the wax. But once I got cool with that little section right there, then it was over. So I, I just kept getting free shit, free. And, and I just kept going to Kinko's, printing out flyers, printing out shit. I did it everywhere. But Russell Simmons was like the cake because once he approved me, then everybody fell in line because Dev Jam was at the top of uh, the tier of like hip hop. Okay, so let's go back. How does 50 Cent transition from the almost this Omar Wire character where he's beating up drug dealers? He weighs 300 pounds. He's got his little, it, like how does, he's boo-boo. yeah, right. So how does, how does he go from boo-boo to 
because I remember when that first thing came out, you know, again, this is, this is me just getting out of college. I was living in Boston and we're like, wait a minute, like this is different. Like his whole cadence, everything was just so different. And now you're hooked up with this guy from the neighborhood, but like you're, you're part of G unit, you're part of his crew. So how does that all happen? Well, he got shot up and they tried to kill him. So, uh, um, at that time, my cousin, Shamani Excel was managing him. So once he got well and he is recuperating, um, they wanted to get into like promotional back into the game. So uh, they came up with an idea to put like, because uh, uh, I was doing mixtapes anyway. I was leaking everybody's shit, bootlegging. But Shaw Money was like, yo, we want to start like a, a, a new style of mixtape where we're going to steal everybody's instrumental and Fiddy's going to do it over. But before you even go over there, Fiddy wants to meet you because we're going to need a DJ to do these hood, these, this, this little hood run we got to do. So I was like, what? He said, yeah, you got to be the DJ because we're not hiring or we're not interviewing people because they just tried to kill him. So you, who tried to kill him? Getting, who tried to kill him? We don't even know. Until this day, it's like, you know, it's one of them hip hop mysteries or whatever. They don't want, I mean, he, he probably knows who tried to kill him or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like that Tupac Vicky bullshit, you know, like right. they, they, they try to, I think he got shot like nine times or whatever. And then uh, he, supposedly nobody knows who tried to kill him but now he's at a he's he's, he's at a crossroad a crossroads of like yo i i can't hire nobody whoever is going to come into our crew has to be related like a blood relative like has to be related so i was sean money's cousin so sean money just called me he knew i was a mixtape dj bootleg and he's like yo you're the dj but first you got to go meet him i was like what but he just got shot up because he got shot in his mouth his teeth came out he got shot in his hand. I was like, damn. I was like, damn, I got to go meet this guy. This, he might be a walking dead. I don't know. He might look crazy. I don't really want to look at his face. So when I got there to Long Island in the basement, it's just like, there's a dirty van outside, like a fucked up van. Because that, at that time, 50 had no money. So I, I, I had my Benz or whatever. I think I had a Lexus. I had a Lexus uh, convertible at that time. So I was bootlegging, making money. So I was. it's funny because everybody that was there had money except 50. So when I went down there, I, I, I was preparing myself to see his face because I was like, damn, the first thing I got to do is get past his face because he got shot in his face. So when I when I saw him, I was like, what? It just looked like a dimple. I was like, man, it didn't even look that bad. Like his teeth was like wired shut and it looked like he had a dimple. It didn't even look like, I thought his shit was going to be really fucked up. So I was like, so that's the first thing I told him. I was like, oh shit, yo, you, you look all right, yo. You look like a piece of shit, man. You, you, you good. He's like, he's like, what? He started getting serious. And then that's when I first met uh, Lloyd Banks and Tony Yeo. And they both looked like they were going to rob me. Because like I said, I was I was making money at that time. And they were like, you know, nobody was making money at that time. But in the basement was vests, guns everywhere. I mean, I never saw so many guns in my life. So so he was like, yo, who can I want to talk to you real quick? I'm going to ask you three questions. And then once you answer these questions, <laughs> you you know, we're going to hire you. I was like, a word? I was like, All right, go ahead. He was like, yo, if... if if, if some niggas come at me with with some guns, like Uzis or whatever, what are you going to do? I was like, man, I don't know you. I'm out of here, yo. Get the fuck out of here. I'm out, yo. I don't know you. I'm out. Like, I'm running. He was like, what? <laughs> so he starts laughing. He was like, yo, man, you hired, though. You say you're hired, man, because uh, I'm not even going to ask you the, the other two questions. You're hired. As long as I know who's around me and how I got to maneuver, if some if some does go down, I, I know that you're a pussy and you're out of here. So at least I can rely or grab whoever that, you know, he just wants to know who's around him. 
like he didn't want me and he he liked the fact that I was honest because I didn't I didn't tell him you know I'm gonna I'm shoot people up and I'm gonna jump in front of you or I'm I'm gonna lay everybody down like he didn't, I wasn't talking like tough you know I was gonna tell him straight up like I don't, I'm out of here like fuck out of here so he starts laughing and shit so once I got hired they gave me like a bulletproof vest like a white one because they all had blue or black I think they had like blue but they gave me like a white one so on stage I could be uh, differentiated from everybody else because they had like 30 guys on the stage that went on the tour. So it was just one tour bus and 30 guys. So randomly, you got to hurry up and get on the bus and find a spot to sleep because, you know, it's not like I had a, I had my own bunk. It was it was just, it was free fall. So even 50, there'll be there'll be nights he sleeps on the floor to fucking uh, like that's how real he was. People love the fact that he he kind of like made himself like. You know, equal to everybody on that bus, but that whole bus was like forty-two bulletproof vests. It was like enough guns for like war forever. So it was like four, thirty to forty guys at every show in all these hood clubs, and that's that's how I started like my whole G Unit connection. Once I once I fucking survived that, we had like one hundred eighty shows. I survived that shit. Once I survived that, then I became like when you know you know DJ. And then the first mixtape, of course, that same day. When he hired me, I had to do drops. I didn't act, I didn't put the first tape together, the 50 Cent is the Future. I just did my drops and left. And then I took over after all that. Like the second mixtape, God's Plan, I, I started taking over. I got the guns and, you know, we had like cheesy, they had cheesy gun effects. I was like, what the fuck is this? I just went and got the fucking uh, um, Heat movie, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino. I took all the guns from that movie and I sampled every gun. So that's why every, you always hear a mixtape. It sounds like a real shootout. Even at the shows, people thought that it was like a real shootout. People would be running or, or, or bobbing their head. They would think that it's like a real shootout because I took all the guns from that movie. And that's Man. it. All that's right. how I so I don't know. Is, is this because I always like to ask like the best story from that tour. I don't really care about the girl thing because I already know the mm-hmm. answer to that one. But um, what? uh like what was the most scared? Was that the most scared you had ever been, or is there another time on tour was a completely different situation where you're more scared? Mm-hmm. I, you don't understand. I, I, I was coming from, I was coming from. Uh, first of all, I I, I I I just came from touring with CNN, Capone Noriega. So they were okay. insane. So I, I was on a road with Mob Deep. I was on a road with like Red Man and 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 Meth the Man. Um, we, there was like a, a Def Jam tour and I, and, I, and then, uh, like I said, I got so cool with Chris Lighty at Def Jam that they, they hired me to like, yo, can you be CNN's tour DJ? And that shit was like shootouts and fucking, I, I think I got, give me your big, g- give me, give me your best story from that run then. Um, there was one time we were on a tour bus and these, 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 these crazy white boys, they were like some fans. And then they got really close to the bus and then they almost made the bus like, I guess, crash or some shit. So <laughs> Nori was like, pull this shit over, pull that motherfucker over. But these were like fans. Because you got to understand, like Noriega was like, CNN, Capone Noriega, they were like, like high impact, crazy shit. Like their shows was gangster shooting. He had why he had all this crazy shit. So you got to understand these crazy college white boys was just like, going crazy too but they had a convertible there was like eight white boys on a convertible and they got too close they almost made the bus crash and then fucking uh was like pull this motherfucker over they pulled the bus over so the white boys started that because you know back then we had the locals on the tour buses so they knew that 
this is the rapper's tour bus. It's not like a random bus. He just going crazy. They had like the album logo, which was kind of crazy to be. I don't know why, but they had the album CNN logo on the bus. So when we pulled over, you know, all the security guards and Nori and, and then the Capone, everybody got out there and they just started beating up all the white boys, like, like to the ground, like to a pulp, like just pounding them out. Like, I was like, these are like, I'm looking out the window, like, are you serious? These are like fans and shit. But, they, but, but the fact that they almost made the bus crash, they beat the shit out of all of them. Like, it was like a good, almost four or five minutes of just straight, like kicking and, and, and these guys had back then, we had Timberland. You know how big them boots are? They had, like, yeah. the fucking 40 Belows. Like, the 40 Belows is huge. They pounding people out, beating them up. And then that's not even, like, adding on to, like, the shootouts with Mob Deep. Every time we had shows with Mob Deep, always ends in shootouts. Like, Uzi's. I remember there was a time, it was, like, the Matrix. So when I DJ, you know, the DJ console, there's, like, a space always in between. It's two turntables, mixer, and there's a space. So every time there's a shootout, I go in that space. But most of the time, I got so desensitized from every shootout. There was one time Mob Deep, went on before us and we went on after my people. I don't know what they did. Some guy came back, locked the door of the whole like event space, like locked the shit and then just pulled out a fucking shotgun and start shooting crazy. So I'm just looking at the shit like, like, like it's the matrix. Everything is slow mode, but the, but the fact that I didn't need to move or run is kind of crazy because I'm so desensitized to like, I guess the violence is just, it just became normal because I, I got past the, the horror stage or getting worried. And you can't like show fear with these guys. So that, I, I don't know. I, I kind of like learned how to like compress all that shit because you, you I, I, from, from my experience, people who run are the ones that get shot. So I was like, let me just sit here and let me just watch everybody run around, shoot. As long as the guy with the gun ain't coming my way, I'm cool. So I took all that desensitization shit to the 50 Cent tour, you know? So seeing 50 Cent, like, I see fans get beat up, blood everywhere. There was a guy that got killed one time in the back of, that's when you see Get Richard Die Trying, that, 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 that scene where the guy died in the back, like that, that somebody died one time, but we couldn't cancel the show. Because if we can't, if, if 50 Cent was like, yo, I ain't doing the show because there's a dead body there, it would have been more dead bodies. So while they were doing an investigation, like that shit ain't got nothing to do with us. It's just, some street bullshit that happened. And then we came like at one o'clock to get ready to go on stage. There's a dead body in the back of the club. We still had to do the show because the whole club was like sold out. So the last thing they want to hear is 50 cents canceling because there's a dead body in the back. So the dead body's back there, yellow tape. They're still doing the investigation, but I guess the police knew that if this shit got shut down, it would be even more violence. People paid like thousands of dollars just to be next to 50 or to watch them. You understand? So. It's just shit like that, that it's just like, all right, we knocked that out. All right, let's get out of here next show. And then we go to Ohio and we meet gang gangsters and shoot out fights again, knock out that show. Next show, go to North Carolina. You know, but most of the places, 90% of the places there was love, but you always got to get like some kind of like, you know, negative uh, bullshit because it, it just can't be easy everywhere. But if you have 30, 40 guys with you, it, it kind of like repels any kind of like hate or any kind of like, you know, I'm going to think twice before I go fuck with 50. 50's already crazy. So imagine he has, you see you got to fight 50 plus the 40 guys, plus who knows what, you know, guns, whatever, whatever else is going to happen is going to go down. And me being a DJ, I'm last to get my shit out. 
Yeah. After they shoot it up and fight and everything, I got to go back and get the equipment. (laughs) (laughs) So I look, I think as I've seen you explain before, like, it, especially in hip hop, you know, there's certain guys you're listening to them and you go, you may have just caught on to the thing and, and put a hat on. And, and now you're going to talk about how hard you are versus the guys that are real. Like, especially with you and I experiencing rap music for the same time in completely different, um, and, and like me outside playing basketball in a suburban Connecticut town and my father fucking walking by, listening to America's most wanted and hearing ice cubes lyrics. And my father going like, what the fuck is, what are you listening to? What is this? Um, (laughs) and now I was working out to it the other day and I was listening. I go, God, if I were a father and my like white 13 year old son were listening to these lyrics, I'd be like, what the hell is going on here? Um, cause it was weird. I mean, you know what I mean? Like this is the first time, but you're like Westerns, right? Like Westerns growing up and it's cool. The cowboy, the desperado, like all these, these figures, that's kind of what like early hip hop was, especially, you know, the West coast stuff for, for anyone of a certain age. So when 50 comes along and you hear that he's been shot, you know, you are like, is he in a gang? Is he not in a gang? And then it's kind of funny to see how he's gone corporate, but he still hasn't necessarily like removed that part of his personality where he's still like, don't fuck with me. Um, what is it about him that that's, you know, not a, like a lot of those guys don't usually have the long successful career in a bunch of different venues because it's like, no, eventually you have to get a little bit more corporate. It doesn't seem like, or it seems like he's been able to kind of do both and still be a guy that's considered real. I, I, I think it's because it's, it's kind of like the Scarface effect. Like, you know, if you see, you know, Scarface was a notorious drug dealer, piece of shit. He killed mad people, sold drugs, and then he got rich. But it's just the fact that he, there's a lot of courage and hustle and literally like it, it, you hear that kind of story and you can't believe that this person survived um, that long until he got killed. He becomes like a legend. So I remember one time I was hanging with uh, um, Gaddafi. Um, cause I, I, used to, I used to DJ a lot of their events. They, they, were, they were funneling music uh, money into the, um, the movie industry. So Omar Gaddafi's sons would pick like me the up. Like the Gaddafi Gaddafi. Yeah. Right, like, yeah. like, like right. the one that America right. fucking shot, fuck up, and killed and shit. So I used to DJ a lot of their events everywhere, from Toronto to like you know uh, Venice, like all these billionaire parties and shit like that. But it was one time I was in Toronto and I had to do a fucking uh, 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 a movie premiere for some some bullshit movie. So he was there, he's sponsoring it and giving put money, but he paid me like. He used to pay me like 15 G's just to DJ, do whatever I fucking want, only because I was 50 cents DJ. He was a G and a fan or whatever. But the relationship got bigger when he saw that I was like a cool guy to fuck with too. And then, and then he was more a fan of the mixtapes more than 50 cent because of the bullets and the gunshots I had all over uh, of the tapes. But one time uh, I had an event real quick is uh, I invited Al Pacino's daughter. You know, Al Pacino's daughter is like, she's just a little heavy set at that time. You know, she's kind of big, so she doesn't. You can't. You couldn't tell that it was Al Pacino's daughter. You know, he has like mad daughters. I don't know, man. But I was mad cool with her, so I said, "Yo, come fuck with me at this event." So, I think the Gaddafi's had like the whole section empty. Like it's just for me and the Gaddafi's. Like, but I didn't know. Like this is my first time even dealing with them by myself. Like without fifty and shit like that. So I went there and then, and then I was like, damn, I got fucking cat. You know, I'm, I love caviar. I'm a widow. I don't know why I like caviar, but I went and got some crackers and caviar. So I walked away and I left 
um, Al Pacino's daughter, you know, just chilling in the VIP until I come back with the crackers. So when I when I went to get the crackers, Gaddafi and them comes in now. <laughs> so, you know, these guys are like, you know, anti-feminine. You know, they, they don't care about women. Like, women are second-class citizens where they come from. So they, 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 they just felt disrespected that there was a woman in it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm getting my crackers and my fucking... Uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just getting my crackers and my shit, my uh, caviar coming back. And then I see them like they 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 just threw her ass out. They did like they they just threw her like she just like they're carrying her to fuck. I don't know where they're going with her. I'm like, what are you doing? I said, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yo, you just you just threw away my guest. She was like, he was like, I don't give a fuck, man. No women in our fucking shit. This is a man's world. No women. We don't fuck with this fucking Allah, all kinds of Allah and all this crazy. Stuff. I was like, yo. I was like, all right, but you know, but you know that's Al Pacino's daughter. He was like, what? That's Al Pacino's daughter. Get her back over here, yo. They carried this big fat chick back like a baby, yo. They brought her back to the VIP, and it just shows you how, like, the energy where Fifty Cent and Al Pacino can't be that different. Their their aura got more bigger. Where it could be corporate or whatever. When you see people, like white people, like corporate people, say Fifty Cent, like. That's the that's like that's the corporate world, you know, because he they don't care about what he did or he just beat up Ja Rule or he just smacked like some other rapper at at Vibe Awards. He'll be with the mayor of New York City doing a charity literally the next day because his aura got so big and and, and it's in everybody's DNA. You you're in college listening to this shit. You 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 you, you more admire the story of him like overcoming. Like if I got shot nine times, I'll quit. I would retire and I'll go down south and become like a garbage man. Like I, 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 I'll pick up trash and just just lay low and make a hundred thousand a year, some stupid shit. But he just came back, went harder, went at Jay Z, went at this guy, still killing Ja Rule, Murder Inc. Like he never let that fucking like that 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 shootout bring. People love like those like those kind of and it was a, it was organic. There was no social media because he became yeah. a so he hood legend. You know, like yeah. you heard about it. You're like, yo, this guy got shot and he's still out there. He came out with another diss record. What's wrong with this guy? So that tells you what kind of person is this? And me, here I come in. I I make, I'm. he's already like legendarily like crazy. But by producing like other songs like Tupac and 50, Biggie and 50, Snoop Dogg and 50, you know, I had Sean Paul. Like I culturally, gangsterly, pimply, I, 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 I I threw the spices on top of a story that was already too crazy. So you're already listening to all these hits. So imagine you're listening to radio. You you already listened to like 15 fucking 50 cent songs plus his album and leak bullshit. It just makes it, it just makes you bigger than you are. So it doesn't matter like what he's done. He could smack like 20 people in a row. He'll be hanging with Obama like the next day and just like have dinner with him very cordially. Who who did he hate the most though? Was it was it Jay Z or was it Ja Rule? I mean, obviously Floyd isn't a rapper. Um, the Floyd stuff where you go back and forth. But who do you think he was the one that it, like it bothered him the most? I don't think I don't think anybody's ever bothered him because he treats it like it's like a, a chess game or you know when you have like a a war model on the wall and you're just putting attacks and you gotta like. You got to take over this city. You got to take over that city. And we won here. We won there. He kind of like defeated mostly. And then there's some people that he just will just keep defeating until the end of time. I think Joe Rule is definitely 
Jaru is definitely going to be like out of here until fucking till he's out of here, and then that's when it stops. I mean, because he, a lot of people don't know the stories of like back then. You know, Murder Inc. used to like you know, Urfagati had a lot of power. He probably still does. I don't know what kind of power he has now, but back then he had that the Jay-Z's, the DMX's, everybody was under his umbrella. So the Destiny Child, like Beyonce, I remember I remember 50 had a 50 had a song with Destiny Child and then I guess, you know, Irva called like the other label, like, yo, take this guy off. Get out of here. We don't fuck with this guy. Because he had so many artists under him that people wanted to get with. You know, so people would respect, like, you know, this is a new guy, take him off, fuck it. So imagine you're dealing with that black ball shit in every fucking label, like every label. Then he gets dropped by his own label after the shootout. So it it looked like Murder, Inc. was winning at that time. But if it wasn't for Chris Lighty, like, literally, like, not giving a fuck, because at that time, Chris Lighty had a deal with Murder, Inc. He managed them, too. He had Ja Rule. Remember, he managed everybody. So he took a risk on taking 50 Cent and betting a very lucrative, uh, you know, connection with Irv Gotti, with Jay-Z, DMN. He still had, like, the Jay-Z here and there, but it wasn't, like, all the way on point because Irv Gotti and them was the shit. Back then, it was, I think it was Ja Rule, DMX, and Jay-Z. That was supposed to be Murder, Inc. So at that time, Irv was, like, on top of the world. So anything he says goes. So imagine you're just a guy trying to get put music out. Everywhere you go, yo, this guy takes you off the shit. This guy stops your shit. A lot of people don't know that. That's why 50's relentless with the Ja Rule shit because they were doing that to him. Yeah, the fact makes that, sense. The fact that Eminem, like, that's why, like, the only two people are, you know, Chris Lighty passed away. So those are only probably two people he would fuck with. Like, it would be Chris Lighty and Eminem. Eminem, Dr. Dre, you know, he really didn't want to deal with that. He, he finally had his shit popping. You know, he got out of the, Death Row shit, it was Shook Knight. He had Eminem. He has, a, you know, I think he had Chronic. He's success. Why do I have to take in this guy that just got shot nine times? Now I got to take his beef with me. I, I, don't, I, I don't feel like dealing with all that shit right now. So then Eminem was like, oh, I'll take him. Yeah, I mean, how did you hook up with Eminem to the point where, I mean, I don't know what your relationship is with him. Well, the first generic connection was the mixtape. So Eminem got 50 Cent as the future. So that kind of like, woke his ass up and then that was like all of us con- connected like shot money you know send it to um paul rosenberg um and uh and uh i think uh m's lawyer at that time so the combination of all of us getting heard on that tape made eminem want to sign 50 so i think eminem is really the one that kind of like uh saved his life to be honest like he'll stop whatever he's doing for eminem He'll do whatever. If M wants him in Russia, he's going to Russia. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's the only one. And then I think he's the only one that will talk to. You know, Dre is like business. He doesn't hate Dre, but he'll talk to him on some business shit, beats and getting production done. But the, he knows the story. Like, you know, like, if it wasn't for him and M, he would never even be near Dre. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like people just, it's, it's just like, you know, if, if, if you feel like somebody has a potential of being like something great, with a legendary status, but you gotta take the risk in, in picking them and and going with it. You know that 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 was his fate in the hip hop shit. Somebody took a risk, like you know Chris Lighty did it first, and then Eminem did it with the label. When when, I, when when it was Chris Lighty, like going with him and going with the hype, 
It was just like leaked mixtape songs. Like that was the hype. That's crazy. And then Eminem just kind of like made it even more crazy. After Get Rich or Die Trying, it was over. And then me, I, my my job was just mixtapes and creating the hype and my lying techniques and got professionally hooked up where I just made everybody do freestyles. It was easy. 50 Cent had so much hype. And then once he got with Dre, it was easy for me to get Snoop and call everybody. Everybody I called, yeah, we'll do it. What do you want me to do? So I had like so many songs. I had like thousand songs then. You know what I'm saying? So it was easy. And then it's easy to fucking woo all you guys out there because y'all, y'all don't know the backstory, but y'all just seen like the energy of the music and the shooting. But there's always a meaning why he is who he is. Like, you know, he, he's going to be relentless because in the beginning, people were relentless to him. What's your um, your favorite part about Eminem from the beginning to, you know, the the middle of it, and then him him still, you know, I would I would say twenty years ago when he popped up, you'd be like, hey, this guy's still going to be really relevant twenty years from now. I don't think a lot of people would have said that, especially just the way music works and the whole deal. Um, but what's yeah. what's your favorite part about him? I like the fact that he's just a cool guy, man. He's just funny. He, he's actually very hilariously funny. Like I, I I'm the comedic aspect of the whole anything that has to do with Junior, because Junior in the beginning was gangster. They were like killers and scary, and they had the aura you couldn't get near. I kind of like broke him down where you could still be like that, but I will be like, you know, the balance of being funny and I'll I'll be stupid. You know, I, I, I'll ride a fucking camel or I'll get on a kang. I'll fight a kangaroo because you're too gangster to do it. Like, you're too cool and, and tough to fight a kangaroo. Let me do it. And everybody thinks I'm Junior anyway. So let me go fight the kangaroo. Let me get beat up. And everybody laughs at me with this kangaroo. You know, so I kind of like made them come on my side. But when you hang with Eminem, Eminem's always been fucking zany, always been funny. He's just like a, you know, he's just like a little kid stuck in his room. And, you know, and the reason I say that is because he can't go nowhere. You know, he's like, he's like you're fucking 17, 18. Or even younger than that, you're like a 14-year-old that can't go outside because the whole world knows you. So it's like, and then the fact that he only talks to maybe like eight people <laughs> in his lifetime, and I'm like one of the eight, even if I wait, like when I got to do an interview or we have an event or I go see him at a show, it, I'm still like one of the eight to like nine people that he talks to. He doesn't talk to nobody. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, Maybe because of my, I guess he connects with my stupidity and, 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 you know, he's always been funny. You know, in the beginning of his career, all his music videos was crazy, zany. And that's really like who he is, you know, like him doing skits for me. He loves doing that shit. A lot of people don't know. He loves doing crazy ass skits, like funny shit. Like, he, I don't know. <laughs> for me to get 50 to do a skit is like, come on, man. It's like, yeah, I'm going to kill you, nigga. Like, but him, he'll fucking produce it. He'll fucking, he'll, he'll get like, impersonators he'll get like a fake jay-z he'll get like fucking somebody sound like trump and he gets in it and he edits it like he makes like production where i'll just get nigga i'm gonna kill you that's what i'm gonna get for 50 and that's it but (laughs) that's the type of person he is you know what i'm saying and then he (laughs) i have like some wild stories on him but he's the fucking like he's hands down the coolest white boy i ever met in my life wait a minute so you do or you you don't want to tell him Cause I don't, I mean, I look, man, you tell me what you want to do. Cause I don't know. I mean, hell, if you've got a great Eminem story you want to share, I'm all for it. You know it. 
I mean, uh, there's, there's one I, I kind of like leaked a little bit of it where he, where in Japan he he was shooting shit up, like you know in Japan back in the days they had like realistic guns, like they were toy guns, like BB guns or whatever, but they made them so real they look like and they shoot like real guns. So when you shoot the BB, it's almost like a silencer. Like so he was he loved going like to Asia and buy he buy like a whole bunch of these shits just to take back before they were banned in the States. Cause you know, kids, I guess they were making them so realistic. Kids was killing each other in the hood. Like, you know, a cop see a kid, they don't know if it's real or not. So they totally banned the guns. All, all toy guns have the red tips, you know, the goofy ass, big ass, chunky red tip. So the yeah, cop yeah. would be like, oh, that's a toy gun. But back then they looked so realistic. So what he would do, I used to have like fucking, you know, I'm on tour. So I always have hoes in my room, fucking them going crazy. But in Japan, they, they don't speak English like that. So I, I had these two chicks, and then one chick was like, yo, I don't think my friend want to leave. The other chick finally fucking falls asleep like on her back on a couch. But now it's like three in the morning. We never usually... So we're in Japan, so they, we have Yakuza that's like as security. So the Yakuza is like downstairs, they're upstairs, they buy the elevators. So they're just like, you know, making sure nobody comes to the M&M would have the whole top floor. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sleeping and then all of a sudden um, the chick I fucked just like grabbed me and she's like, yo, what the fuck? I was like, yo, what happened? What happened? What the fuck going on? And then her friend is like crying and, and screaming. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Somebody came in here with a gun and and shot in here and and shot at the shot at the um the drapes or, or shot at me. Because she, she, she said that whoever kicked the door open had a mask the door open, pulled the gun out, and then she sees the guy, she sees the guy with the mask, and then she faints, because she thought she was going to get killed. So the, the, the chick that was on the couch sees the gun, faints, and then wake up from her faint, and starts screaming. Like, she she been saw it, the guy shot, she faints. Now she wakes up after her fate, wakes up my chick. I'm just like, what? I told you somebody said somebody trying to kill me. So I'm thinking that maybe somebody trying to kill me. They think I'm 50 cent. Or I don't know. Like, I, I woke up, shot money. I was like, yo, there's somebody trying to kill us and shit. Like, because we saw uh, on the on the drape, they had, like, these little holes in there. So I was like, yo, so, so don't we have, like, Yakuza here? What the fuck's going on? So me and shot buddy called up. We called downstairs and we called the police. Like, there's somebody with a gun. Like any of trying to kill us and shit. So, so the chicks was like, "Where are they?" So the chicks just left. They didn't even like stay. They left. So, meanwhile, the police come. We, we, we do police report. All this crazy shit. We're chilling. And all of a sudden, the next day, nobody's saying nothing. <laughs> We're still like, I'm with D12. I'm with Proof. I'm telling like bizarre and fucking everybody that's on the tour like exhibit. I'm like, yo. Somebody's trying to kill us, yo. Like, I think somebody thought I was 50 because I was kind of like buff back then. So I don't know. I, I was like, maybe they thought I was 50 and some Japanese. Because even the night before, you know, uh, Eminem got this uh, a clone. Like, he's like a copycat. And it was partial. He was like, he looked just like Eminem. But part of the show, he would just pop up and Eminem would shoot him. He'll disappear. Eminem would do like a magic show on stage. So he looked just like Eminem. So I, I used to like take him to the clubs and charge like 10 Gs. Act like he's Eminem, and he's, <laughs> and he's just fucking. You know, I, I would give him like five hundred bucks. I'll pay up all the security, like five hundred each, and then maybe I'll take proof or whatever with me. 
And then at that, you know, because at that at that time, if you see Eminem coming in the club, you know you're not going to get near him. You know what I'm saying? Right. So all the right. Japanese people are crying. Ah, like, they, they go crazy because he looks just... The security guards look like houses. They're, like, huge. So they're just surrounding him, and they thought he was Eminem. But that same night, we had beef with some crazy gangster, like, Japanese Yakuza dudes. The security guards don't... You know, it's the first time they're wearing Japan, so they don't they don't understand the culture or how serious it is. So they beat up, they punched the hell out of some crazy kid, some Japanese kid, and then the kid comes back. He's waiting for us outside with a sword. Like, he had a sword. He went to his car and pulled a sword out. So I was like, yo, I'm not losing an arm in fucking Japan for no fucking beef, like some pointless beef. It's like, I don't even know why they were arguing. We got in the van and we got the fuck out of there. So that's why I thought, I told Sha, I was like, yo, I think, these guys are coming to where we're at. I don't know how they, because we have Yakuza security. That's why I was like, yo, Yakuza is like trying to kill us and shit. The security's here. How are they going to try to kill us? So whatever. Two days go by. One day go by. We're, we're doing another show. We go, we're, we're still talking about this shit because nothing's been like concluded of the whole matter. So there's one night I just got, I, I think it was like the fourth day we were in uh, Yokohama or one of the cities in Japan, I think Tokyo, whatever. And I, and I just, let me get up. And then I wanted to get a, you know, a drink. You know, in, in, in Japan, they have all these weird drinks, like with balls in it and all these toys and all this corny shit. But I, I didn't have no Japanese, I have no coins. I have no whatever, yen or whatever the coin the coin is. So I was waking up all the rappers. It's four in the morning. I'm trying to wake up all the rappers. I, I went to Proof Room, because me and Proof was mad cool on the road. So I would go to him, I'll go to Young Buck, and then I think uh, Buck had some coins. So I took his coins. So now I come out, I'm going to the machine to get like some soda pop or whatever they call it. I see fucking Eminem with the mask. Like he had like a fucking bandana. And then I see him kick fucking uh, Bizarre's door in. And he's shooting, he's just shooting in the room. Like, and he looks at me and he just runs to his room and shuts the door. So that means he knew for like four fucking The whole days. time. We're fucking out of our minds, scared. We're, we got police involvement. We do all this crazy shit. He just never told us. I was like, this motherfucker is crazy, though. I, I just can't believe this dude, man. So this type of person he is. Like, he's, pretty, he's, he's out of his mind. All right. I'm going to let you uh, bounce after this. I like to do five questions and then not do them all the time with guests. So we'll, uh, we're going to do it with you in honor of Craig Kilborn. So a little more rapid fire. Uh, give me the city that you you love. Like you had no idea something off the radar. I mean, there's all cities that we all love, but like, give me one that's that's international that you're like, this city is amazing that maybe people wouldn't think about. Um, there's a there's a there's a city called uh, I don't know. I'll never forget that shit. Um, damn, what's it called? Shit. Uh, oh, Estonia. <laughs> yeah. I've heard good things. I heard it's nuts. So Estonia is, I'll never forget Estonia because after the concert, um, we, I, I, I took 50 to the room and then I went to go meet, uh, you know, our, our, our production guy, but he had like a huge suite. So he would, he would trick like 50 in, in the room selection. So 50 always had a suite, but he never added his suite on the list. So when I went to the suite, Everybody from the after party was in there. And then that's all women. So I had to go DJ the after party after. So when I get to the after party and I'm rocking it, and then now it's over, it's four in the morning. And then once it's over, 
all the girls started screaming, group sex, group sex. I was like, what the fuck? So I thought it was a joke. So we go back to the hotel, all the fucking girls from the club, even the ones that followed us and more, went back to that suite. And then I, I, I put 50 in his room. And then I, now I'm like, yeah, let me go see what's going on in the production room. Cause you know, I heard there's some shit going on. So I open the door and once the door opens and then he's like, welcome to Fantasy Island. Like everybody, you know, all the chicks are naked. Like the barbers fucking, the the, the, the baggage handle, everybody, you know, those girls are naked. Like, I'm talking about like 30, 40 girls, butt ass naked. And we just, and it was over. I was like, see ya. I just, <laughs> so Estonia, I, yo, uh, it, it's, it's out of control, bro. I'm like, yeah. it's mad. For those, crazy stuff, but it hands down, like some weird ass shit. Yeah, just to make sure we don't have any, any uh, geography people getting in our case. Um, uh, Tallinn is the city. Yeah, it's just, it's just south of Finland across the Baltic Sea there. Estonia is its own country. Latvia. Okay, give me give me a young rapper now. A young, it doesn't have to be like real year young, but like a newer generation rapper that you love. Um, I love YBN Corday. He reminds me. He's like kind of like the balance of uh, because he fucks with like uh, I don't know. He he reminds me like he's very lyrical, but he he's giving me like the all he has the aura, the the aura of all the neo kids too, all the new kids that's rapping. But it's just no ignorance. So he's a storyteller, but I don't know. It's it's it's, it's hard to explain. You got to go see his show to understand it. You know what I'm saying? Like he he does a great show, and he's very interactive with the people. But he he's a good risk taker for some reason. You know, I used to. I mean, before it was Kendrick Lamar because he used to be going crazy with his different styles. But um, he's kind of like YBN Cordae is kind of like a a slower version for me to keep up, to catch up. I don't, and he doesn't, he doesn't OD with the experimentations. You know how right. you're like Kanye West crying. And I mean, I, I just heard some shit with Kendrick Maul. was like, wah, 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 like he's just crying. Like it's, it's cool to be like that, but I don't have time. I'm a little too old to be trying to like experiment with you. So, yeah, YB and Corday got me up to speed on a lot of shit. He's kind of like one of my... And plus, he, you know, he he's Haitian now. He dates uh, that tennis player that's Haitian, too. <laughs> so he, so he's he, in. He calls me all the time. So we, we, we also have a personal relationship. So it's kind of like I was a fan. I, I never met him. I played his records first, or I leaked a lot of his shit from his manager. And then... Um, this is like a year. And then I think his father and brother was in the car hearing me on radio bumping his shit. And that, I think that kind of like touched his heart because his father and son, like his father and brother called him, yo, you're on the radio. Well, who kid? He loves you. He's playing you like nonstop. And then that kind of like, it was like an organic kind of thing, but I've always liked his style. All right. Last one. Uh, give me the NBA guy you're the closest with. NBA guy that I'm closest with. Because I can imagine when you're in all these different mm-hmm. cities, you know, whether it's your show or knowing you yeah. from all the touring, that some guys are always hitting you up. Like, who's the lock to hit you up when you get to his city? Um, I, you know, all the big guys, I, I know them, but they, I, I guess their game and their popularity kind of like, it's not like back in the days where, um, 
you know, like stocks used to come to my party. And, you know, even like up until I think Iman Shumpert was probably the last of the, the breed of like, they could come to the party whenever, do whatever they fucking want. You know, like uh, uh, Steve, what, what, I remember the Knicks had Steve, wasn't they Steve? Uh, Steve Franchise? No, 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 Steve. Francis. Yeah, Stevie Francis. No, he went to um he went to play with LeBron too. Um it, it was Amon Shumpert and him that got transferred out the, um they got traded from the Knicks. Yeah, J.R. Smith. Yeah, J.R. Smith, yeah. So there him and Shumper are like the last of like if, if if you see me like walling out back in the days in the clubs with Drake and everybody, they the Knicks was always in there. I think we I think because of my parties. We we created that that um what's that law that um where they have to be <laughs> back at a certain time because they had a game the next day or they game like they had like curfews and shit because they were ODing partying like crazy so you know it, and everybody that comes into town they will come they'll hit me because they know I would be at a greenhouse or wherever doing all the wild shit so but I, I would say I mean uh, LeBron would be like kind of like he's just too high he's just too high up there to just stop and go you know so yeah. like i was with him and in, in, in uh all-star weekend in toronto um it's like you know you just hang with him all day you know it's, it's good because th- there's no pressure of him like he has to play or he can't be out there like that you know what i'm saying so that he'll probably be like one of the because you know i've i've He's hosted like tons of my tapes and but I would say I would say LeBron um would be like a good but everybody else is just cool. They just come out and chill. Yeah. Um Tim Thomas is old school. Tim Thomas is like one of my my best friends and shit. Oh, no kidding. We were just talking about him in the redraft the other day. Old That's, yeah, uh, old school. Yeah, yeah. He's like one of my best, 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 best friends. So yeah, I, he's crazy. It was a party like crazy too. Hey, so I know um, you can follow Who Kid at DJ Who Kid. Uh, that's on Twitter, and then it's also at DJ Who Kid on IG. And you got something new coming up with Akon, right? Because we were talking about that before. So I know the Hollywood Shuffle, but you, you're doing some podcast stuff too. So I just want to make sure you get it out there. Yeah, I got my uh, Who Army um, podcast. This it's, it's going to be re refurnish it was a ignite podcast but now it's going to be who army because everything is going to be who army this year um uh, i just started my who army live i just did it with akon so he was on my first one and it was was already like causing trouble out there you need to be on that live with me too just while yeah i want to come in yeah i want to come in once we get all sorted out through all this man yeah and then uh of course uh you know i have like uh uh, a book TV stuff going on too. So, and uh, I'm currently on that, um, that cartoon documentary on Netflix with that. What, like all the stuff we're talking about, when you see the scene, you gotta, you gotta understand why <laughs> these stories are out there, but I'm on that cartoon tattoo. I might actually got like mad tattoos from him. There's actually a cartoon one right here. Yeah. Right. That Netflix doc on cartoon. That's right. Yeah. I just watched that the other day. You did my, did my whole back, but I did it the same day with Dre, Eminem and 50. So I had to, I was there. I was like, yo, just do my back. Fuck it. Like he was just knocking out the whole G unit bullshit. So, and then, uh, yeah, that's basically it. I got my, you know, everybody just follow me on Instagram. 
Um, and then uh, I got my weed strand coming out soon, my hooey, getting that done now. Since everybody's fucking stuck in quarantine, so I'm putting that together. So all my legalized uh, states out there that fuck with weed, hopefully you can handle my hooey strand. You know what I'm saying? So get your hooey on. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I know you got stuff going on even during this. I really appreciate the time. I appreciate all the time you, you've all had good, to for us and my friends. And uh, hopefully I get to run into you again soon. All right, man. So stay safe.